What if humans who survived an apocalypse were forced to flee into the sky to escape a deadly mist? And what if one skydiver working aboard an airship was hired to find the impossible, a way to eradicate the mist for good? Of course, it doesn't help much that the mist is rising and threatening to turn the human survivors into steampunk zombies. That's the world of Morgan L. Bussey's Skyworld series. It starts with the book Secrets in the Mist and finishes with Blood Secrets. In this episode, Morgan makes her debut on Fantastical Truth. Shamble on in to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world that Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the living co-host of this podcast and publisher of Lorehaven. I'm also the co-author of The Pop Culture Parents. And I'm Zachary Russell. And if you're anything like me, I have often wondered, do zombies have souls? And hopefully our guest today will be able to answer that question because this is episode 131. What if an airborne mist turned humans into zombies? And we'll be talking about the Sky World series with author Morgan L. Bussey. This is the first episode in our new series. We just concluded the Steve Saga, an epic trilogy of episodes uh, starring a variety of Steves from across the multiverse. <laughs> but now that we're moving into spooky season, we've started a new series called Monster Month, which I figured, Zach, seeing as how we do talk about occasionally the paranormal, things like that. The Armies of the Aliens get their own series title. I'm guessing that Monster Month may have an episode or two across the year, even when it's not spooky season. But we figured, hey, we're going to talk about mad scientists. We're going to talk about some other creatures. We may even revisit the whole Dracula issue. Uh, may as well start off with those some zombies. And Morgan's books seemed the perfect occasion uh, to shuffle on over and see what's going on with these uh, rotting friends of ours. Oh, speaking of Monster Month, I got to tell you what we have coming next in the Lorehaven Guild, uh, which is our Discord server. It's invitation only if you subscribe free at lorehaven.com. We do new book quests every month. Our ongoing quest right now is for The Hobbit. We're going to finish that up uh, just this week, actually, as this episode releases. But then starting Saturday, October the 3rd, we are going to delve into Dracula. That's right. We're going to invite you into the castle. But unlike the Transylvanian Count's abode, you can come and go whenever you like. There's no bounded choice here. No gaslighting going on. You're not going to be trapped in there like Jonathan Harker. Spoiler alert. Uh, this book has gotten super popular even just this year uh, because of at least 150,000 fans uh, subscribing to the Dracula Daily hashtag on Tumblr. It's really interesting to watch people discover this more than 100-year-old book and empathizing with the heroes. So we're going to be talking about Dracula again on the podcast, but also moving into the book in the Lorehaven Guild. But Zach, uh, before we do that, uh, real quick, you are putting together our Hobbit moot uh, coming up on, I believe, uh, Saturday, October the 1st, to celebrate uh, coming to the end of J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy, uh, just a week or so removed after Hobbit Day, uh, which was uh, on this year, Thursday, September the 22nd. Yeah, so this will be uh, basically a Zoom call is how I think we're going to run it. I'll put a link in the Discord server where you can sign up to be a part of it. It'll be like you have to register with your, your name or email or something. Uh, although we all know each other through our nickname, so I'm trying to figure that part out. I guess you can just use your nickname. You'll just have to make sure you change it in Zoom. But that way, we uh, we kind of keep it friendly, keep it a nice, tight community. We don't just invite the entire internet 
into this uh, Zoom room, but I think this will be a fun time to discuss The Hobbit, share our favorite moments from the book. Of course, you know, we, we all think about the movies and the other thing on um, a certain streaming service we're not going to talk about on this. We're going to just talk about the novel. Uh, you know, you can't help but think about the movie with The Hobbit or the movies, the trilogy. But I'm really excited to hear uh, everyone's thoughts about it. This has been a very hobbity sort of year, uh, not only because of some other uh, Middle Earth type stuff going on out there, uh, emphasis on the type stuff, I would say. But we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about <laughs> The Hobbit. And by the way, though, the first Hobbit film, uh, The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, this December will turn 10 years old, which actually makes me feel younger. For some reason, I feel like uh, it was released a whole lot longer ago than that. So lots of occasions to celebrate The Hobbit. And that's what we'll be doing in this uh, Zoom call that Zach is putting together. But Zach, you know what you're supposed to say, right? When the trolls stomp in uh, to the Zoom call, what are you supposed to say? Yeah, I, I don't have that line memorized, but yes. Okay, like I so hear the what drums you do is you, what you do. Yeah. Well, you can say that if it's Fellowship of the Ring, but if it's The Hobbit, then oh, you're Gandalf oh, sorry, and you yes. split. Well, first you do this impressive uh, impressionistic uh, performance to get the trolls to turn on each other. But then before they do that, uh, you just uh, smack the stone with your rock or just wait for the sun to stream on in. And you say, Dawn, take you all and be stoned to you. Because as everybody <laughs> knows, uh, vampires get weakened by sunlight. And in the dumb movie versions, they explode in sunlight. Trolls just turn to stone in sunlight. So that's how you should handle any kind of troll in any kind of Zoom call. If you have a Zoom yep. crasher or whatever it's called. I don't use a lot of Zoom. Zach uses a lot of Zoom. So he's putting that together. I'm the content guy. Usually I put these notes together, uh, which includes our first sponsor for this episode. Uh, once again, it's Enclave Publishing, our friends at Enclave. And because of today's guest, uh, we're emphasizing Morgan L. Bussey's novels from Enclave Publishing. There are so many of them, too many to put into this particular sponsor segment. So we're going to focus on the most recent novel uh, released in August 2022, Blood Secrets. That's part two of the Skyworld series. It's a duology. And here's the description. Not everyone wants to see the world saved. Time is running out. Cities are being engulfed in the mist and humanity is on the brink of extinction. Theo believes he has found a way to stop mankind from turning, but he doesn't know how to alter Cass's unique blood into a cure or if it can even be done. Meanwhile, Cass struggles with the idea that she is possibly the savior of the world, world she is not sure is worth saving. From the Winchester Manse to the Steel City of Decaden, there is something more chasing Cass than the House of Lords or the masked man who can walk in the mist. Soon she must decide if she will use her blood to save mankind or let those who only care about themselves perish. This is Blood Secrets, book two of the Skyworld series. It's available in hardcover and in ebook and in audio. You can get those links atop our podcast sponsors page, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or find the basic link atop our show notes for this episode 131. Zach, I hear a strange sound of a rolling uh, item like a chariot or perhaps some kind of a sleigh drawn by a very strange assortment of animals. Let's open the wider gate this time and see what means Morgan used to enter the studio. Fantasy novelist Morgan L. Bussey has just arrived in a sledge drawn by two powerful white house cats. And I understand that Thor may have been involved in this particular vehicle. She is a writer by day and a mother by night. The author of the Follower of the Word series, as well as the Soul Chronicles series, the Ravenwood Saga series, and now the Sky World series. A lot of series going on. The recent book Blood Secrets just released in August from Enclave. 
She is a three-time Christie Award finalist and winner of the, both the Inspi and the Carol Award for Best in Christian Speculative Fiction. During her spare time, she enjoys playing games, taking long walks, and dreaming about her next novel. Also heard something about playing some video games, too. So Morgan does a lot of nerdy things, including coming into the Lorehaven studio. Morgan, welcome to your Fantastical Truth debut. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that. Good to have you here, Morgan. So I imagine as an author of uh, books about airships and stuff, you must love flying, being up high, soaring through the clouds, that kind of thing. Uh, no, no, oh, really? no. <laughs> I actually have a fear of flying and for a while had to take some medicine to help me fly. <laughs> so oh, wow. no, that's not my favorite thing. I get car sick and motion sick everywhere. So if I go on a road trip, I have to drive. Uh, of course, I tried to do it on the airplane, and now I'm on the no-fly list. Uh, but yes, I, I just did Dramamine <laughs> when I fly. So I, I didn't I, know I, you were on the no-fly list. <laughs> it was just for health reasons, right? <laughs> right? Uh, perhaps, Morgan, it's just the wrong type of uh, air-traveling vehicle. Uh, all the vehicles that we have nowadays are driven by jet engines. But, of course, there's some other means that people kind of forgot about after that whole Hindenburg thing. Dirigibles, uh, airships, things like that. Maybe we just need to put you in one of those and then you would do much better. Oh, I don't know. It's actually a fear of heights. So no matter what, I'm up in the sky. So, <laughs> yeah. I just try not to think of the thinness of the floor. And oh, the, don't uh, do that. Bulkheads, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Separating me from certain doom. Yeah, it, it'll be better in the new heavens and new earth when if we are not able to fly ourselves, at least on a limited basis because of supernatural gifting by God, uh, we'll at least uh, have no more fear of heights. I look forward to that. <laughs> In the meantime, we have fantastical stories to help us fly without fear of certain doom, which leads to chapter one of our discussion. We always want to ask of a new guest how you personally discovered biblical faith and fantastic imagination at the same time or in a particular order. Uh, what is your testimony there? That's an interesting story because that also what led me to start writing. I grew up in a family that was divorced. So my mom was pretty conservative, no fantasy, no none of that kind of stuff. And then my dad, when I go to my dad's house, he was the one that introduced me to like the Hobbit. My dad was basically a geek before it was really cool to be a geek. And so I always had that dichotomy. I didn't know should Christians be into fantasy and science fiction or was it wrong? And that was something um, that followed me all the way through into my adulthood. So then I got married and um, I was working my husband through seminary. We're really poor seminary students. And um, the local library was right across the street and they had an entire wall of science fiction and fantasy. And I decided to start exploring it for myself if this was okay or not. So I started reading books. That's how I discovered Terry Brooks, loved him, discovered a lot of other series, but I started, you know, running into situations that I'm like, I don't want to read about that. Or it was very anti-Christian or there were just scenes or a ton of cussing. And as the years went by, I finally got this brilliant idea. I'm going to walk into a Christian bookstore and ask them where their science fiction and fantasy <laughs> section is. <laughs> so I walked in, the lady gave me a weird look and said, well, we have Frank Peretti. And there was one book of his on the bottom shelf. And I'll never forget that. And I went home and I told my husband and he's like, well, why don't you write? And I'm like, no, I, I just read books. I, I don't write. Um, and he kept saying, no, you have, you have such an amazing imagination. You should write. You should write. And then finally, we were on a car trip over to Seattle. And all of a sudden, I had this idea of this woman that when she touched people, she could see inside their souls, which eventually became actually my very first novel, Daughter of Light. So as you can see, it was a long journey of 
figuring out what does it mean to love fantasy and science fiction and what were the boundaries as a Christian. And ultimately, because I love the genre so much, I wanted to bring it to more Christians, but also instead of being anti-Christian, I wanted it to encourage them in their walk with God or, or show them who God was. So Morgan, that's great to hear. And I must remember that even before you had your first fantasy novels published, uh, you were writing for us at the predecessor website to Lorehaven, uh, Speculative Faith. So we get to say, a little bragging rights here, that we knew you before you were cool, but you were cool <laughs> then too. And we also put you on the cover back when we were doing the print issues of Lorehaven. Uh, you're on the cover of the fall 2018 issue, uh, looking a little bit spooky there, but in a wholesome sort of way. Uh, you shared some of that story there. We'll link to that in the show notes for anybody who wants to go further in depth there. I wanted to ask you about this bit that we included in the story uh, written by me. Uh, you said that although uh, your dad was into the fantasy and your mom was more conservative, uh, you said that your mom has since uh, come around. Uh, she now is uh, is at least uh, accepting of fantasy. Uh, how did that happen, if you don't mind saying? And uh, how do your parents feel about your books now? <laughs> well, unfortunately, my dad's passed away, but he w he read all my stuff. That was amazing to me because I don't know where my dad was spiritually when he passed oh, wow. away, but I do know that he read every single one of my books. And when I went to go clear out his house, all my books were on his top shelf. Oh, so that's that wonderful. meant a lot to me. Um, my mom, you know, I think all of us go through our own journeys as we get to know God more, as we get to know our faith more, as we really come to the Bible and ask, what is it saying? What does this mean for my life? Honestly, the biggest thing was Harry Potter. So I remember when Harry Potter came out, and my husband was a youth pastor at that time. And so our kids were asking us, should we read it? What is it wrong? Is it right? And so Dan and I decided we were going to read the series ourselves and decide that. And that's when I realized you could write fantasy or science fiction and all that stuff. And it didn't have to be based on God or demons. Sometimes it could be part of your genetic makeup and stuff. So that was felt very freeing to me that you could write in certain ways. So I had many conversations with my mom about Harry Potter and then other fantasy books and stuff that were popular at the time. And that's what finally her started looking into it. And then, of course, when I published a book, she has to read what her daughter wrote. And that brought her around to realizing it's important for us to think about what God says and then what does the world say and about the imagination. So she reads all my books now and even sits and watches fantasy stuff with me. <laughs> Let's take a cable over to the neighboring airship going from the steampunk YA genre to middle grade fantasy. This is our second sponsor for this episode. Candy J. Wyatt's middle grade fantasy, an unexpected journey. Sounds a bit hobbitish there, but this is a different story about Harley Mager. Here's the back cover description. Harley Mager is seen E.T., and he knows what the government will do to mythical creatures. There's no way he's about to let his newfound friend fall into the hands of an NSA agent. When the dragon starts setting fires and eating livestock, the choice may be taken from him. Steria is only interested in filling her tummy and spending time with Harley and his friends. After all, they're the ones who woke her and called her from her egg. When the agent tries to capture her, she's confined to the farm where she's safe, but without sufficient food. She'll do anything to protect herself and Harley, even if it means she'll go hungry. An Unexpected Adventure is the fun first book in the middle grade fantasy Myth Coast Adventures trilogy. If you like clean entertainment full of adventure and mischief, then you will love Candy J. Wyatt's unique trilogy. You can read more and get the link in our podcast sponsors page, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. 
or see the basic link atop our show notes for episode 131 for an unexpected adventure. Well, I love that you started off that journey by saying, how do I integrate this genre I love with the God that I follow? And like, you're trying to find the boundaries of where these stories should go or shouldn't go or should or should not include. And I think that's just very wise that you wanted to make it part of your faith, not try to make your faith subservient to a genre. I think that's always uh, not, not a great path that people go down. And I think you found exactly what uh, Steve Lobby shared on our previous episode, which is that a Christian novel uh, will express the worldview and portray the worldview of the author, even if, you know, Jesus doesn't show up in an airship or dragon or, or something, which would just be kind of weird. It's always going to show something that you value and it, it's going to resolve in a certain way that matches your faith. It doesn't have to be so explicit. The whole story is going to embody your faith. In other words, it doesn't have to just be this one element that you just kind of drop in. Mm -hmm. So I must say that uh, just a couple of months ago as well, uh, Morgan's novel Secrets in the Mist uh, won at the Realm Awards uh, for the best uh, young adult novel that they read for the uh, 2021 season. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Morgan, I agree with Zach uh, that it's great to hear uh, your your spirit about trying to determine the place of fantasy in a Christian worldview, uh, not vice versa. Uh, that is singing our song here at Lorehaven. Uh, we want to ground everything in the scripture, including our fandoms. Every thought must be taken captive uh, to the Lordship of Christ. And uh, we see that in what you do and in the stories that you are making. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the stories that you uh, have been made most recently of the Skyworld series. Chapter two of our discussion, uh, let's focus on those more recent books. Again, uh, Secrets in the Mist that released uh, last year, 2021, uh, and then the follow-up. So it's a duology called Blood Secrets. A lot of secrets going on there, and we're going to get all the answers to them today. Uh, What is life like up there in the steampunk sky with the mist that is rising and that just might cause a rather sort of Halloween-ish monster fate uh, for those exposed to to this uh, creeping substance? So I got to tell you a funny story before we dive into the story, because uh, dive idea... in. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original idea for the story uh, came out as a joke <laughs> years ago. It's another one of those titles that started out as a joke, okay? <laughs> yes. but that turns into a serious story. Great. It was back when zombies were big. That's like when Walking Dead came out and all that stuff. And I was finishing or I was either finishing or was in the midst of writing my first steampunk series. And my husband's like, you should do a genre mashup of zombies and and steampunk. And I laughed because I'm like, no way. I I don't do zombies. I couldn't even get through the first episode of Walking Dead. (laughs) And But then also when he said that, I had this idea of what if everyone had to live up in airships and on mountaintops because some type of mist covers the world. And if you go into it, you turn into a zombie. But I never, ever thought I would write it. And then um, fast forward, I think it was in 2020, right before 2020. So I had all this idea before COVID hit and all the ideas for this. And Steve's like, what do you have next? And so I always have about four or five ideas. So I throw them at him. And he he picked this one. He said, this one sounds good. Let's Let's take a look at this. Although I'm not sure about zombies. So I said, here, let me send you what I, wh- where I'm going. It's going to come from a scientific point of view. No gore, no eating brains, blah, 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 blah. And so even as I was writing the book and he still was like, I'm still not sure about the zombies. <laughs> and so 
that was pretty funny. But that's how that that story was born as an idea my husband gave me. And then Steve said, yeah, that sounds interesting. Not sure about the zombies. And well, here we are. Yeah, I, I am impressed by that. I'm glad that at least some zombies got through. Not that I want zombies to get through. I want Enclave to be Enclave. And I totally support what y'all are doing. And I'm saying that not just because we had the Steve saga just recently. Episode 129, the aforementioned Steve lobby is Steve 2 in that saga. Uh, there's not a whole lot of monsters shambling around uh, the Enclave halls, uh, so to see some zombies in there uh, is by itself impressive. I think it's funny that now we are moving into Monster Month, a faithful listener, uh, where it's a lot of creatures here that you won't necessarily find in Enclave books. But in this case, these zombies got through, uh, partly because I'm guessing, Morgan, they're not the type that you see uh, torn to bits or whatever happens on The Walking Dead, which I haven't seen because I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> I got to turn on my Christian card now. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was really like falsely humble or something. What I meant is that I'm not a carnal Christian. No, oh, wow. I am, oh, play- even I am playing. I am playing. No, I've seen Attack on Titan, which is the anime that has, oh, yes. you know, people getting torn apart by giants. And there's there's mysteries and secrets and things in there, too. Uh, but in this case, I'm guessing your approach to zombies is a little bit different. And it's certainly, you know, it's a YA title. It's Enclave Escape, uh, which is the YA imprint of Enclave Publishing. Without giving a whole lot away, Morgan, how did you manage to uh, get zombies in there, uh, even though they're actually called uh, the turned, uh, as I understand? Yeah, so I call them the turned because they've turned from humans. <laughs> um, so the biggest things that that um, Steve and I tackled with is, one, I wanted that it was just the husk left, the body, that there was no soul left in the body, that that I didn't have people trapped in this undead kind of situation. That was very important to me. I also approached it from a scientific point of view. I worked with a friend who was a microbiologist to ask how how would this possibly could happen? And we built it up from from a science point of view on the possibility of this happening. And then um, this is spoiler. So if you don't want to hear this, listeners, just, you know, I don't know, take your headphones out or something or earbuds. The actual cause of this happening in this world was wanting to solve the war from a pacifist point of view. Mm. Oh, wow. And then it went really bad and did this to the world. And I I thought, oh, wow, that's a really interesting turn that you try to solve a war by by ending it in a way that was going to cause less bloodshed and instead you you changed your world in a very bad way. So you'd have to read the book to find out how that happened and stuff. That is fascinating. I always like those kind of stories where where people try to save humanity but end up destroying it because it always just points to man's hubris and the fact that we need a savior that's supernatural and that that we can't save ourselves, especially through uh, a pill or through an injection or some other kind of technological marvel. I think that's especially good nowadays because we're living in the sci-fi age where people are trying to do this kind of thing and inserting uh, microchips in your brain or whatever. I think it's also helpful that you evaded those questions of the soul and, you know, avoided the specter of ghosts and some of those things that understandably, I'm not playing here, understandably make Christians squeamish, make us feel uncertain. And I think rightfully so, because scripture, I think, is very clear uh, that there's no middle ground between dead and alive, uh, at least eternally speaking. Uh, if you're absent with the body, you are present with the Lord, or you've gone somewhere else. Uh, and if you're present with the Lord, then you're living in the hope of resurrection. Uh, the whole zombie idea strikes me uh, as a counterfeit of resurrection, uh, kind of a a parody or at least a, a cautionary tale of what would happen, uh, similar to Frankenstein's monster, uh, if you tried to make living that which is supposed to be dead 
And I've written a couple of articles about how actually some of these decorations when we move into the Halloween season really bother me uh, in just the way they seem to mimic or mock uh, that idea of coming back to life out of the grave, which is an absolutely yeah. biblical concept, even going back to Ezekiel, where you see, son of man, can these bones live? And the prophet replies, oh, sovereign Lord, you know. And then God brings to life and puts back uh, flesh back on uh, these rotting corpses and makes them living men and breathes into them. And that's the biblical motif of resurrection there that all Christians live in the hope of. Uh, you have this other version illustrated by decorations and stuff that seems to be saying, no, the dead are supposed to stay dead. But in your case, like it's, it's actual dead bodies. There's no middle ground. Uh, there's no piece of the soul left or any of that stuff uh, that could give some Christian readers certainly uh, some pause. Yeah. Although it's interesting you bring up zombies just because one passage I love is Ephesians 2 where it says we were dead in our sins. Mm. And in some ways, we were zombies, and oh, God yes. breathed life back into this. Yeah. And I just love that illustration. You know, things that shouldn't be alive and dead at the same time, and yet a lot of humans are because they're in that spiritual condition. Maybe I'm a carnal Christian now, and I'm outing myself, but I, I am a fan of a lot of zombie <laughs> films and, and zombie TV shows. And I remember early on with The Walking Dead, I thought in, in season two, there was this one episode, I thought they were actually going to take an interesting angle and explore spirituality because the main character, Rick, says to Herschel, who's sort of this conservative farmer type, uh, he says, uh, you know, you're a man of faith or you're a man of God, have some faith. And uh, I had to look up this exact quote, but Herschel says, well, I can't profess to understand God's plan, but Christ promised the resurrection of the dead. I just thought he had something a little different in mind. And I remember like, oh, okay, this is the start of an interesting thread they're going to take. Nope. That, it just stopped right it was there. Just a throwaway line. It was, okay. it, was a, it was a throwaway line. And then the more I realized it, I'm like, this is the writers of the show making fun of Christians. It was just like a, a hot take on, on Christianity. It wasn't because if, if Herschel really was a Christian character, I would think he'd be struggling a lot more with that line. Now, they did have a priest show up later on, but there's a whole lot I could say about that. It, yeah, clearly, like, this isn't the resurrection from the dead. Like, it, any serious Christian would not look at a zombie and go, oh, okay, I guess this is how Jesus is going to resurrect us when we're flesh-eating monsters with no uh, communication skills. And so... <laughs> no communication skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, The Walking Dead didn't really, I don't, I don't know that the zombies could be explained as alive. I mean, I guess they kind of were, but yeah, I, I like your approach, Morgan, where it's just these, you know, the soul is gone. Like you said, there, there's not like a person trapped inside that they need to heal somehow, but it's just a, like a parasite or something moving the body around. But what, what are some of the theological ideas you did explore about death and life in this book? Well, I have to be careful not to give away too many spoilers. So one, that was important that it was just simply a husk left because if there were people trapped inside, I would then have to really come up with something. Maybe yeah. that's a book for a future. I don't know. Just, you know, going on Ephesians 2, people coming back. And then I also approach it from two dual point of views. So I have my main character, Cass, who's grown up on the streets and obviously in a world where People are stuck. Basically, it's like King of the Mountain. Those at the top are pushing those off the mountain who are unworthy or they just don't have the room. And so things called purges happen in my world where when there gets to be not enough land, not enough people, not enough resources, 
uh, they purge people. And so um, Cass goes through watching her family go that way. Uh, she is skillful enough on the streets to dodge when a purge happens in her area. Um, so I tackle the worth of somebody just because maybe they're poor or they're, they don't contribute as much as you think to society. On the other hand, I have Theo, who is one of the top aristocratic families of this world, and he has a good heart. And he starts to realize how much hurt his family has played into hurting others in this world. But then I also explore the idea, just so background, I'm married to a pastor. I've seen a lot in ministry over the last 20 years. And sometimes I've seen how churches become basically social clubs for people who they feel comfortable with. So everyone who is, you know, at least has a decent amount of money and lives the same way, and it becomes a social club. And in my book, I have that it's become kind of a social club. Churches, it's a social club. They're not really doing a whole lot to help with the purges. In fact, they just like to turn a blind eye and pretend that's not happening because it's not happening on their part of the mountain. And so I have those ideas clash of what does it really mean to follow God? And in my case, Cass doesn't even know who God is, but she starts to meet people who uh, really do follow God and then people who just say they follow God. And so I have a lot of that going on too. Morgan, you mentioned the uh, sort of the class struggles going on in this world. I uh, happen to know that you've also seen some anime. So I'm just curious, I'm not sure which series started it or even if it was uh, maybe something anime borrowed from somebody else. But I think it's uh, Astro Boy and the Alita series, and then even the uh, DC Universe has this with the new gods, this idea of the rich, wealthy, powerful people living on an island floating above the earth or above the planet, and then all the poor people scavenging beneath. Uh, how much of that imagery seems to have figured in uh, to the Skyworld series? So I actually have not read or seen or any of those two series that you mentioned. I think it's for me when I world build, I was going, yeah, well, in this world, this would be happening. And this is this is plus as a kid, you know, I played King of the Mountain and push people off. So I'm like, I just took that to a bigger level of the bullies or the people who think they're worth more live at the top and push everyone else off. So, yeah. All right. And unfortunately, this does happen not just in anime or manga series, uh, but in uh, churches. That can happen there. Uh, that calls for some special wisdom to deal with these powerful people who may be using their power to push people around. Uh, that's not the way that Christ said uh, for his people to act uh, through his words to the Apostle James. So that's really great to have this fleshed out in a, in a fictional series with or without zombies and with or without a steampunk. Morgan, you've had several books that have the steampunk aesthetic and the setting uh, on the front cover. Uh, you also had uh, the Tainted from the Soul Chronicles, a uh, lot of steampunk there on the front, uh, some fantastic looking airships there. And then in Secrets in the Mist and Blood Secrets, uh, you get more of this almost uh, Victorian aesthetic there on the front. Uh, I think that's a really great uh, atmosphere going into the story uh, that I think a lot of people are enjoying. Yeah, I, I've always thought about writing historical and it'd be the Victorian era. But there's just too many things you got to get right or else readers nail you to the wall. So I just put them in my own world, whatever I want. I pick and choose. Oh, I like that. I like that. Plus, I love that time period because that's when science was really becoming to the forefront. And I love science. I'm a huge science nerd. Like I one time had the periodic table memorized for competition. Don't oh, ask. Wow. Oh, very <laughs> I was cool. a huge nerd. And so I love <laughs> bringing the science parts to my steampunk series. And honestly, it's... I ask the questions, where's God and where's science and how do they, how do they work together? Where, where's God at the beginning of science and where's God at the end of science? And especially 
my books have been very popular with young men, um, especially the homeschool variety. And I think that's questions they're asking too. And I think it helps that um, my my books explore that. I don't answer the questions for them, but I lay open what it looks like. Yeah. You know, I've always loved the quote by Johann Kepler, who said that by doing scientific research, experimentation, and learning, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. Because we know from scripture that God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And, you know, you look at the um, kind of the ancient biblical times and a lot of the pagan gods that the other people groups worship really were gods of chaos, like that were just very capricious and uh, unreliable and, you know, malicious even. And that, that's not the God of the Bible, that he's a God of order and he's a God of love. You know, he's a God of light, like he brings understanding uh, to our world. And so he made the world in a way that it can be discovered that it's, uh, was it Einstein that said the most unintelligent thing about the universe is that it's intelligible? Uh, I'm, I'm probably butchering that a little bit, but just the the amazing fact that we can understand how this world and universe work, that in it itself is, is sort of a miracle because it, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be uh, discoverable. It could have been obscure. And certainly until we created things like the electron microscope or the, the Hubble Space Telescope, there, there were a lot of things that we didn't know and couldn't know, but you know, we were able to figure those things out. I, I love that too. I, this is what I love about science is that, that God is kind of pulling back the curtain saying, here, you want to see how I made all this stuff? Like, here's more of it. And it, it never ceases to amaze us what he's created. Jumping in here real quick for sponsor three of this episode, I saw that Carrie Neitz, the science fiction novelist, uh, had penned an endorsement for Morgan's first book in this series, Secrets in the Mist. Uh, it was a great endorsement there, but Carrie is actually, by seeming coincidence, our third sponsor with his science fiction novel, Lost Bits, just released over the summer. Here's the back cover description. The last thing K404 remembers is a happy home with the human child, L, whose care is his primary purpose. So when he wakes up in a landfill of tossed away technology, his only thought is to reunite with his family. This world is not his own, though. It is a wasteland of desolate buildings, flying metal discs, and monstrosities that keep themselves active by stealing another bot's power. How did the world get this way, and why was he discarded? Hampered by imperfect memory, an obsolete body, and limited battery life, 404 sets out to find his home. Joined by other castaways, he faces off against scavengers and monsters only to encounter greater threats. Pursued, outsmarted, and manipulated on every side, 404 teeters on the brink of annihilation. His only chance of survival, those bits of himself, the connections, he hasn't lost. You can get all the info for that at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Lost Bits by Carrie Neitz is available in hardcover, paperback, or audio at amazon.com. You can also get the basic link atop our show notes for episode 131. What were some of the ways in your stories that you dove into that, that you had people discovering things and sort of, uh, well, again, I, I'm sure there's some spoilers there, but so let me just ask, was, was that part of the process of your stories, of, of the, the process of discovery? Oh, yes, definitely. Well, partly is um, my secondary character, Theo, is a basically a scientist. He's searching He's searching the world. He's searching for why this is going on. Is there a way to save people from this mist? You see a history of his family do, following this. He even has a lab in his own house. Um, and then I have a lot of it based on a lot of science that I was able to discover working also with my friend who is a microbiologist. And so 
the reason behind the mist, the cure for the mist, which is in Blood Secrets, all just fun science stuff. But I also have just understanding that there's a God that's behind it all and allowing us to find stuff. Like you said, discover. So it's interesting. You said, you know, God's pulling back the curtain. Well, I always tell my kids and my husband, it's almost like God has put fun things out there for us to discover. And he's like, oh, I can't wait till they discover this. This is going to be really, really cool. And I could totally see, well, God seeing that because of how much he loves mankind. The scripture says that uh, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, which is a great verse when you're talking about the fact that as one of my t-shirts say, God created science. That t-shirt's looking a little worn now, but I'd like to replace <laughs> it because it's a great conversation starter uh, and similar to this conversation. I'm glad, Morgan, that your books are not just using steampunk as an aesthetic, but are actually going into uh, the science of some of these things. You know, even though you're working at more of a macro level, you know, gears meshing together and, well, steam uh, coming out of various places in the story world. Uh, this is a world uh, that is not about the micro level stuff, but I, it seems to me that uh, there's a resonance there. You're going from these uh, big ideas like gears and steamy tubes and things like that. Uh, you're also going to these uh, big spiritual ideas, these themes about life and death and what happens with the man was not meant to meddle medley. Uh, a a storyline that you'd think would have turned into a trope by now in science fiction. And then you'd have a gif of Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park talking about what scientist uh, hubris is like. But this seems to be a message that we just keep needing in our stories, because while the science fiction authors seem to be repeating it, the actual mad scientists don't seem to get it. Uh, and we're planning in a few episodes here to talk again about mad scientists and what they're up to and why they apparently have not read the right sorts of books, uh, these books being among them. So, Morgan, moving to chapter three here as we talk uh, not just about your present creations, but also what is next in your creative, fantastical future? Light on the spoilers, but we'd like to get some hints uh, as we go forward. Yeah, definitely have to be light on the spoilers, partly because Enclaves asked me to be light on the spoilers. <laughs> um, so I tend to do, I'll, I'll write one genre, then I kind of get tired of the genre, so then I move on to another genre. So right now I am working on a Viking-inspired fantasy. But the fun thing is, is it has ties to the very first series I wrote, the Daughter of Light series. It's kind of a prequel 400 years before that world happened. And I, I mentioned one thing in that book called The Nordic Wars. And now I'm actually expanding on that and I'm writing an entire series on The Nordic Wars. So can't give a, a whole lot away other than it's turning out to be a pretty amazing story. I'm loving it. I'm loving building this. I love diving a lot into the Viking. Now, it's not pure Viking because I'm adding my own stuff to it, but um, researching a lot of their lifestyle, their philosophy, and then adding it into my world and building on that. So I'm also um, building kind of a, a character who isn't doing the right thing at the beginning. But I love writing that because you're going to discover, because a lot of us do things because that's what our culture tells us. This is what we should be thinking. This is what we should be doing. And then you start to realize as you go through your journey, start questioning that and say, I don't know if this is right. Are we doing this for the right reason? So the Morgan verse expands. And I like just giving people's uh, creative universes a name like that. They may not have come up with it themselves. I just take that into my hands and call it something like the Morgan verse. 
That sounds fascinating. Got any release dates or frames or targeted years of release? Or has that all been TBD, especially as the Enclave-verse is also expanding? So at this point, this is the first time I, I, I've had a book come out almost every year since 2012. There was during 2014 when, uh, when Enclave was being bought, going from March Alert Press to Enclave, that I did not have a book come out. So I have no, people are going to cry, I'm so sorry. There is no book coming out in 2023, just between my kids graduating from high school, moving across the country, helping my um, husband plant a church right now. I just oh, told wow. Steve, I, I need a little bit of a, um, a little more time <laughs> to work on this series, um, just because there was a lot of unforeseen stuff going on. So the first book in the series will come out in 2024. Okay. 2024. That's your target though. Okay. Yep. That's what's in the contract. <laughs> So and the contract I always, is law. It's a I magical binding contract. Yes. So yeah, for a while there, Morgan, it seemed on social media that you were announcing uh, that you and your husband were moving like once every couple of years or so. Uh, do y'all stay put and help this uh, new church uh, get off the ground, or uh, see any I other would, moves? Ahead? I would love that. Every move has been something God has brought into our life. If that is not the nomad life, I would have chosen for myself. Um, and a lot of times. We've wondered, well, what's wrong with us? Until we finally met someone this year who said, yeah, that's the same calling God gave us. And it helped to realize that God just asked us to walk a different path and we need to be obedient to it. So, yeah, but we're really glad to be back in the Pacific Northwest because that's what home is for us. And um, we love this area. This area definitely um, is in in desperate need of of God and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's our people. It's our culture. Well, I think there's a, a very obvious solution here, Morgan, which is that you guys need to have a flying church, uh, perhaps on an airship or a flying city. I don't exactly know how it works. Uh, you know, then you can just move it around and move your whole flock around with you. So may- maybe look into that. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like one of those seeker sensitive stunts there, Zach. What's next? Riding, <laughs> riding, a, ri- riding a motorcycle out on stage, fog yes. machines, forge line. <laughs> Silly church tricks. So Morgan, thank you so much. That just I want to say though, thank you to you and your husband for doing that, uh, for serving the kingdom in that way. We are big, godly, biblical, local church fans at Lore Haven. Uh, no fantastic fandom, uh, no matter how uh, gospel grounded, uh, and no internet movement of Christians can ever equal uh, the work that Christ is doing in the local churches uh, that He, through the Spirit, has been planting through the work of faithful saints in the United States and across the world. So we're grateful that y'all are out there uh, putting seeds in the ground. And I pray that God will give that new uh, effort growth uh, for both you and him. And I'm glad y'all got to take a break as well uh, from doing the books, but we look forward to uh, your next book coming out. Morgan, uh, where can people track this next book's release and any other news you have by following you on the socials or signing up for your newsletter or any of those things? Yep, that's it. Um, pretty much any major social media place that you can find me. I have a website, my name, MorganLBussy.com. Um, and there's a link that you can sign up to my newsletter. I usually send out a newsletter about every quarter or when I have news because I don't want to fill all your guys' inboxes with stuff. Um, and obviously follow Enclave. They have a presence on Instagram. They have a presence on Facebook. They also have their own newsletter. So you don't just miss out when my books come out, but any of the amazing stuff that that is coming out with them. They have just 
really good books. And I have the pleasure and privilege of getting to read a lot of those ahead of time. Well, Morgan, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more stories uh, from the worlds you're creating. So thank you. Thank you. Stephen, that was a great interview and such a good reminder that God provides us our true resurrection and eternal life. Uh, we don't need mad scientists to do that because man uh, should not try to replace God and in his uh, infinite wisdom and in how he has designed life and death. Uh, but certainly many people are trying nowadays and in real life. And, and I just always ask, have you seen the same movies I've seen? Because if you had, you probably wouldn't be trying these crazy things. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about some of those topics later on in uh, Monster Month. This is what I love about sci-fi is it kind of shows the uh, the limits of man's wisdom and where mankind should not venture in terms of uh, science and technology. Once again, I think uh, Tony Stark came up. Uh, well, of course, he, he had a line written for him, but it was in Age of Ultron where he refers to the man was not meant to meddle medley. And I wonder if there are any outtakes where Robert Downey Jr. was trying to utter that phrase, possibly <laughs> written by Joss Whedon, a name we shall not utter here. But hey, it was a good line. Uh, also good lines coming in over the comm station. Our lines are open and we had a lot of feedback, of course, about the recently concluded Steve saga. And somehow a faithful listener, I suspect, will be getting even more letters about this uh, for Monster Month uh, with the Christian uh, mixed view on monsters. That is something that we expect. Uh, we also had a lot of discussion about different kinds of darkness uh, because Josiah DeGraff, our staff creator at Lorehaven, uh, had written an article just recently at the site uh, in his series about discerning Christian fiction. He was asking, okay, how honest should Christian fiction be? Uh, should our stories, famously sentimental in the past, potentially overcorrect and talk a little too much about sin and darkness? How do you discern that? Uh, what's the difference between just being honest and uh, indulging in these kinds of images? Great article. You should read it. Link in the show notes. A couple of people on Twitter read it and liked it, including John Allison, too. All those links to in the show notes. If you want to follow these astute readers, he said, quote, ah, very nice. Now, this is interesting and great to see. End quote. Appreciate that, John. It was a great article. Uh, so thought Patrick Kane Abbott as well, who read the same article. He said, it will be an interesting shift for readers who are used to fluff slash cringe Christian fiction to accept characters who are not perfect, do not always make the right decisions, and repeatedly fall, just like how every one of us actually are. Uh, a little later, he said, I think I'm still scarred by my time being a bookseller, but from what I gather, the big sellers are still more fluffy than anything else. And he linked to the Amazon bestsellers page for best Christian fiction. And it is true, uh, the top books there are, you know, at least they seem to look like fluffy romances or at least more cozy reading. And I think that's just a market reality right now. Uh, Steve Lobby or Steve Smith, our previous guest in the Steve saga, might be able to say more about this. But any book that has that label, Christian fiction, uh, it will get to the top if it's a, a more female-friendly book or more romance-friendly book. I don't get stuck on that, Zach, like I used to. I just view that as a reality of the market. Those books sell to more the tens of thousands, whereas Christian fantastical novels, I think, sell like more maybe the thousands at absolute best uh that's changing though i think that more people are looking out in the world and they're looking into their churches like morgan was talking about they're seeing a lot of harsher things going on and we need stories that deal with other subjects not just uh, love and relationships and social drama i think we do need those kinds of stories i would never throw them out but that's a little bit of our latent theme going into monster month is sometimes you need stories that recognize the reality of monsters in our world that recognize the reality that there are 
creatures. There are people who want to spread corruption uh, into us. And we also, of course, have that even greater monster of sin uh, inside our very hearts. Uh, could turn us into zombies someday. The Christ is our only hope for salvation from those. And I think more Christian-made stories should show that reality. Yeah, I, th- I think it always goes back to why are people reading books? A lot of people turn to books for comfort. And so a lot of books tend to be kind of more comfort food uh, where, where nothing is too difficult or too distressing. I'm turning to a book to sort of get away from all the stress of the world. And so I want something that's not so intense. Other people go to books for the intensity, for the hero's journey of conquering the dragon or the Death Star or whatever. Because they want to see, okay, how are other people confronting, you know, the worst things imaginable? Where are they finding the courage and and the resources and kind of the mental fortitude to face the monsters in their lives? And how can I learn from that to face the monsters in my own life? Um, And I love just Morgan's story that, uh, you know, she did have a fear of flying. Like that was a real thing that she uh, had to take medication for. She's uh, talked about in her blog post. Uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes and everyone should read that blog post. It's a great story. And then in researching her books, she learned to overcome her fear. And, you know, because she really had to think deeply about, okay, how would an airship work? Uh, how would a hang glider work? Uh, how does any of this work? How are people able to stay up in the sky and not just fall like rocks? Like it is kind of weird when you think about it. You just get in this metal tube and strap yourself into a chair and then somehow it takes you to another city. Like it, it's very bizarre. Like we really do live in a fantastical world in real life. Uh, but she was able to conquer those fears through fiction. And so um, that's personally why I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of weird fiction. Uh, I watch zombie movies. Yes. You can call me carnal if you want. Uh, maybe I should try some Christian zombie movies though. So I don't have to, uh, I don't think there are any Christian wor- zombie worry about movies. The it's not necessarily the first uh, menu <laughs> item you'll find when you go to pure flicks, I'm sure. <laughs> And just imagine the Christian version of The Walking Dead. I gotta say, though, I mean, I joke about carnal <laughs> Christianity, but my co-author, uh, Jared Moore, who's a Baptist pastor and everything, like he was an original Walking Dead fan. Like we actually had long ago an article by him about earlier seasons of The Walking Dead. It's probably out of date now, but I think you can still find that at the at the speculative faith side of lorehaven.com. Newer articles at lorehaven.com include the Josiah article that I mentioned, and that has caused a lot of great discussion. And I understand that Josiah DeGraff has at least two other articles planned in that discerning Christian fiction series. All links, of course, again, in our show notes. Uh, As we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we are planning to host a Hobbit moot by way of a visual portal, not a Palantir. It's perfectly safe. No eyes are going to jump in and jump scare you. Uh, That's going to be on Saturday, October the 1st. Exact time and themes to be determined. Watch this week, by the way, Lord willing, uh, we're going to have a fantastic article from a guest writer at lorehaven.com about the mythic origins of the Hobbit, some of the Beowulf type themes that clearly inspired a Tolkien, uh, famously a Beowulf fan and a scholar of medieval and Renaissance literature and languages. Uh, That's going to be going up at Lorehaven this week as we conclude our Hobbit book quest in the Lorehaven Guild. Uh, By the way, that's the guild that you will want to join. It is free, but it is invitation only hosted on Discord. Just subscribe free at lorehaven.com and we will send you the invitation code perfectly safe. There won't be any haunted uh, things going on. No wolves prowling around outside the castle. You can come and leave as you go. No monsters will prey upon you here, Uh, but there will be some great music out there in the night. Uh, It's just more of a wholesome variety of music. Uh, No creatures of the night uh, to be seen there. But it will be scary because on Monday, October the 3rd, we are, as I said, beginning our journey to defeat Count Dracula. As I said in the promo material, 
Uh, we have the power of Christ that compels us to destroy these vampires. And yet in Christ, it takes not only spiritual weapons, uh, but also a Winchester rifle or two and a willingness to go into lots of paperwork and a surprising amount of knowledge of a uh, train schedules in England uh, right around the year 1890. So we'll have to find out exactly uh, the spiritual and physical means that it takes to destroy a vampire, a corrupt predator who disorders humanity and attacks the very image of God. Dracula is awesome. We've talked about it before. Uh, Zach, I uh, believe that in this monster month, we're going to revisit that topic. Subscribe free at lorehaven.com. Get your guild invitation and other updates to the articles and the reviews that we do every Friday. Next on Fantastical Truth, Monster Month has begun. During our next few episodes, we have scheduled stops at your favorite haunted house for some scary topics. Yet, as with Count Dracula, it's not the power of evil, but the power of Christ that compels us. Christ has defeated the monster of sin that haunts us from within, and someday we know he's going to defeat the monsters lurking out there in the world. That is why we are surveying the genre of horror. Then we're going to learn how tens of thousands of new readers have discovered the holiness and horror of Dracula. We're also going to stop by the mad scientist lab and see what evils they're cooking up. And finally, Zach, alas, by somehow popular demand, we're going to try to explore why we have all of this Christian curiosity about the Nephilim. This spooky season, welcome to Monster Month on Fantastical Truth. Meanwhile, whether your monsters include fear of flight, fear of plunging thousands of feet drawn by gravity toward the unforgiving surface of the earth, or fear of any other monsters that might be lurking out there, including but not limited to zombies, do know that Christ has defeated the only serious monster we need to worry about. He has come to destroy the works of sin, the flesh, and the devil, and he will someday defeat all monsters and banish spooky season to nothing but a distant and actual fun memory. And we look forward to that promised reality as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.